Good morning. Uh, welcome to church this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Paul. I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, if you're visiting, I just want to say welcome. We're so excited that you're here. The Holy Spirit's going to do some good things this morning. I'm excited. Uh, if you want to stand with me, I just want to invite you uh, to join in worship. Let's just jump in. Heavenly Father, we welcome you here. We say have your way. Uh, whatever you have, God, bring it this morning. Get us out of our comfort zone into what you have for us in your name. Amen. Matthew 9, verse 20. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe for she thought, if I can touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. And I feel this morning uh, that there's there are moments where we have to wait for what God's going to do. But there are other moments where God is waiting for us to take that step. He's saying, do you trust me? Take that step. Do you trust me? Get out of your comfort zone and take that step. And I feel that there's a call this morning that God's saying, hey, do you trust me? Take a step. And we're all at different, we're all at different places. And, and for some of us, taking that step might just be raising our hands. For others of us, it might just be, hey, you know what, I need to grab a flag and I'm going to wave this because that's what God's telling me to do. And I just want to encourage each and every single one of you this morning, what's the step that God's telling you to take? It may be, hey, I trust you, God, so I'm just going to listen. And as we lean back into worship, as we lean back into what God wants to say to each and every single one of us, God, what are you saying to us? There's a point in, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, so who do people say I am? And he got various answers, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet. And then he said, so who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right there, Jesus said, and, and, and I think this, is, this has gotten really confused up sometimes, but he said to him, your name is Peter, which means rock. Okay, so he's making an analogy here. And then he says, upon this rock, he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about the truth. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That means we can knock down the gates of hell based on this truth. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can trust in that. You can stand on that rock. Amen. But I feel like if you noticed in worship the, the path that we went, is I feel like there's a lot of us that walked in and we, we've had these promises in our life that God's 
God's spoken to us or told us. And, and I feel like a lot of us, when we walked in, we, we, we started to feel like, can I trust God? Can I believe in him? Can I, can I, uh, can I believe that what he said was true? And so in worship, as, as we started, we, we started going in a, it was a reminder for a lot of us in here that we can trust God, that we can hope in God, and that the promises that he told us are true. And then Jim, Jim talked about the rock on, on, of Jesus. And when we were reminded of that, that, you know what, Jesus said what he said. And he doesn't lie. And when we step back and recognize, God, you are worthy. You are holy. You, you keep your promises even on the days where I'm having a hard week and I don't know if I can see what you're doing. So I just want to encourage every single one of us as we, as we, sing, as we sing again. Just lift your hands and say, God, you are worthy because the promises I believe. The things that you've told me, I can trust in you. I can hope in you. Right now you're feeling an atmosphere of faith. And you're feeling like the impossibilities of my life are suddenly possible. And that's a good thing. But those of us who have been raised very independently feel, well, I don't want to just ride on the faith of others. I can't just, just because the church was able to create this atmosphere of faith, I need to create that atmosphere myself. But maybe there's a point where you can just ride on the faith of others. The paralytic was brought to Jesus by the faith of four other guys who, who broke open the roof and lowered him down. You drove here in a car you didn't build. You fly somewhere in an airplane you didn't build. Why not ride on the faith of others? Why not do that? That's what we have this church for. That's what we gather together for. That's what I press in for. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that the weakest person here can ride on my faith. That is wonderful to me. That is a beautiful thing. So I'm just trying to say, don't feel like, yeah, that was faith in Sunday, but I need to create my own. Just ride on it. Just use it. Just work in it. Just live in it. Just, just let it become part of you. This is a genuine thing we've built here. And you can have that. You can use that. This is a free thing that's pouring out here this morning. So we say, Jesus, we just ride on you. We just ride on one another. We are happy that there's faith, and we're willing to move on that faith. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a rock. We thank you that you are good that you are holy, that you are worthy, that you never fail, that you want the best for us. Thank you that you're a good dad. So I'm, I'm actually kind of laughing a little bit um, because uh, the, the title of 
my message today, not that I title messages normally, but this one actually has a title, and its title is Promises. Of course it is. That's what Paul said. Of course it is, because I didn't know that I was going to be speaking on promises until about uh, 7.30 last night, and... Uh, I didn't speak to anybody in here about the fact that I was going to be speaking about promises. And yet, our entire worship time ended up being about the trustworthiness of God. And about being able to stand on Him as a rock. And being able to trust in His promises. And so, thank you, Lord, that you arrange all things. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless your word this morning, and that it would uh, that it would matter, that it would go deep into our hearts, and it would matter, in Jesus' name. So, <clears throat> when we talk about promises, there's always an interesting question. Have people ever let you down? Yeah? Sigh. Yeah, there was that one time. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about your parents? Did your parents ever promise you something and then not follow through? What? Michael, did you say yes? Impossible. Curtis didn't say yes. (laughs) He nodded. (laughs) You know what? It's bound to happen. Except. Why? I mean, as a parent, what is there that allows you to make a promise and then break it to your kids? What what is that? What, What happens? Part of it is, we didn't really think of it as a promise, right? I mean, you know, I said, you know, next week we'll go to the zoo. But then I got called out on a business trip, so we didn't go to the zoo. I mean, I didn't break my promise. I mean, it just didn't work out that way, right? Right? Of course, how's the kid feeling? Kids, you lied. Yeah, you broke your promise. Um, but it was out of my hands. Or... I got busy. I couldn't. Or I didn't think that was a promise. I didn't intend to make No, I was just I was just talking about something we might do. I didn't know it was a promise. As people, we often end up making inadvertent promises even. But often we made a promise and we just don't really value it that hard and so we don't necessarily keep it. I have to tell you, I, I looked at, at some statistics on, you know, family troubles, particularly kids who at, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, rebel. And one of the primary root causes is their belief that their parents didn't keep promises and they harbored that in their heart. They held it. It grew. It became something much uglier. It caused distance. Then they begin fighting about everything. And it starts with... You know, a, a four- or five-year-old feeling like a promise wasn't kept. So we understand that promises are actually a pretty significant thing to us as people. It, they, they go deep. We, we hold them. We expect them to be kept. We know that quite often, you know, we get upset at our politicians for not keeping promises, right? Politicians come, they make promises And then they find out once they get into office, it wasn't as easy as they thought. Maybe it's not even within their jurisdiction to be able to keep the promise that they made. 
Maybe there were all sorts of things they didn't know before they got into office, and now that they're in office and they've found these things out, they discovered that maybe that promise wasn't so wise to begin with. Or maybe they were just selling something and they didn't care that deeply. We call that lying. So, quite often, we will hear promises from each other that weren't necessarily promises, or B, we didn't actually hear the conditions. There's generally caveats on promises. One, one interesting thing, and we will get to the promises of God here in a minute, but one interesting thing I noted, uh, a number of years ago, I was making a presentation in Casablanca, uh, Morocco, to a Microsoft group, and I told them about something that we were going to do, and I had said, you know, and the next version of our software will be coming out in November, and it will have the following features. And a person in the audience, remember that Morocco is a Muslim country, and so, you know, pretty much the entire audience are going to be Muslims. And one of the men put up his hand, he stopped me right there, and he said, shouldn't you say, if God wills? And in a way, I was taken aback. Because there's a, a, there's a potential religiosity that gets into that where, you know, you have to follow the formula precisely because if you don't follow the formula, God's just waiting to squash you. Not so. That's not the God we serve. He is a loving father. He's not looking for opportunities to squash me. He made the universe with a word, light. He could unmake me with a word. He doesn't have to squash me because I messed up on the formula. But... On the other hand, how much presumption was there in me just making a declaration about what's going to happen in November when, I, I don't know what month this was and whatever, but, you know, I mean, it was months away at that point in time, and I'm just making pronouncements. And I realized something. Part of our problem with promises is we don't know the future. Part of our problem with promises is we're not all powerful. We can't make stuff happen when something's out of our hands. Part of our problem is lots of things are out of our hands. And so actually, the Bible even tells us, by the way, that the, the comment about saying, Lord willing, that's how we've translated that phrase into English, right, is actually scriptural. It is. Um, in, in fact, it was, you know, you, you know, you say you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do the other thing, and you really should say, if the Lord wills it. So there is a point in our own lives even to understand you know, how to make a promise properly or how to not make a promise at some level um, on, on things that are out of our hands. But God's promises are different. So let me ask the question a different way or the early question differently. Has God ever let you down? Now, this is a church, so of course everybody's going to say, of course not, no. I'm not putting up my hand and saying yes. But think inside, have you ever felt that God has let you down? Yeah. Yeah, most of us probably have. Why does that happen? I mean, we know that he doesn't, and yet I'm let down. So what's going on here for God to let me down? And I'm not going to make any excuses for God this morning. <laughs> But uh, years ago, 
uh, Dave Grauweiler was preaching here, and Dave gave us a little illustration that I have used in business for years since then, and I believe it firmly. He said this. He said, this, let's call that expectation. This here, bless you, Michael. Let's call that reality. You know what that space is called? That's called disappointment. That's what that is. So there is a thing about what is our expectation, what built our expectation, what set our expectation, and then how are we interpreting reality as well that allows us to sometimes feel that we've been let down. But I'm here to tell you, we haven't, and we can avoid that feeling quite, quite clearly. God has made lots of promises. Do you know the scripture is full of promises? If I sat here this morning and said, let's just spend the morning reading through some of the promises of God, we could easily fill our time. We could fill... There are promises... uh, By the way, a huge majority of them, however, especially the Old Testament promises, a huge majority of them are conditional promises. They are promises that had a condition. By the way... You know, I, I remember, you know, the, the, the little children's chorus for those of us who grew up in the church that we said, every promise in the book is mine. Um, I sure hope not. You've got to read the Old Testament promises. Um, there's a whole lot of them that are, if you don't do this, <laughs> or if you do this, mm, all sorts of horrible stuff's going to happen. Okay? Um, those were conditional. So that's good because the conditions are laid out and we can avoid them if we'd like to avoid those conditions. But many of the promises that we want to hold on to were also conditional. So I think the thing we need to know about God's, God's um, promises, why don't we always see his promises coming through the way we expect? Well... God's promises are absolute. He knows the future. No circumstance is too big. And I'll tell you one further thing. And his honor is at stake. And God protects his honor. And he calls us to protect his honor. So we don't want to go around telling people that God isn't keeping his promises. He doesn't like that. Um, Do you know what? Do you know why we sometimes don't see promises being kept? Because we had confusion about our understanding of the promise in the first place many times. We have faulty expectations. We think he's going to do it the way we thought he was going to do it. The Messiah is going to come as a conquering king and knock the Romans out of Israel and set up a throne and rule forever as a political king, right? Or he could be born as a baby to a poor family and be utterly dependent on his mother for food and nurture. No, that's not how that works, say the Pharisees. But, and they were the studiers of scripture. They were the people who understood. I still wonder sometimes if the second coming doesn't look like what we think. Are we going to even recognize it? I think so, but I'm pretty sure they thought so too. Because they were the studies of scripture. So there's a huge piece about us just kind of setting up in our own minds what we think the promise means. 
And, and there are scripture promises, and we're going to spend most of our time there. But there are also personal promises. God can give you a word, a rhema word that, you know, you're reading something, and you see it, and you grab it, and he, and he totally lets you know right then and there that this is for you. And the question is, what do you do with it? Can I share a little bit about yours? Okay. So in talking with my daughter yesterday, she said, I had, I thought, a promise about a very specific thing. And that very specific thing had a time frame to it in her mind as well. There was an event coming, and this promise, she felt, was for that event, and it was very specific. The only thing is, it turned out quite differently than what the promise was, she felt. Do you want to share it? Okay. So, I'll let her share it because it's her story. Okay. So... My, okay, I have always, always, always wanted a baby girl. (laughs) A lot of you know that about me. So for all who don't know me, I currently have two little boys who I love very dearly and would not trade for anything. But (laughs) I also always only wanted two children. So we're figuring that one out. But anyways, (laughs) that's not for all of you guys. (laughs) Um, So I had way, way back, I don't even know when it was, I was just before marriage and everything, just praying like, God, I really, really, really want a baby girl when I have kids. And I thought I heard, you will get a baby girl. So that is what I was holding on to, right? So, and within my two kids, I'm going to have a baby girl because God told me that that's what's going to happen. I was sharing this with my mom, probably, I don't know, within the past three years, because within the time that I've had kids, and just telling her, like, well, I I know God promised me a girl. And my mom kind of went, well, what exactly did he say to you? And I kind of was a little huffy about it, because I want my girl. (laughs) But I stopped, and I thought about it, and I realized what God promised me is don't worry about it. I will take care of it. That does not mean you will have a baby girl within two babies. <laughs> it doesn't mean if I had another, it wouldn't be a girl, but it also doesn't mean if I had another, it wouldn't be a boy, right? It just means, don't worry, I will take care of it, or take care of you, or whatever the last word you want it to be. But, yeah. Thank you. So, here's one where a promise is given... And the promise is fulfilled even and continual because this is a continuing fulfillment. It's not even a one-time fulfillment. But it wasn't quite what she had in mind. And it was interesting because during the worship, Drew came up to me and shared Romans 12 too, which says that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And um, now let me find, wait, you know what, I think I have it still here. Um, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But let's keep going, because we often stop there. Then you will be able to test and approve what, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he renews our minds so that we can actually understand what his will really is, so that we don't have to try and figure it out. And we can rest in his promise without having to figure out every last detail, first of all. But secondly, he will correct us if we get the details wrong. 
okay? So in Amanda's case, you know, even before she knew that her second was a boy, she had already had a correction brought to that promise that was, no, no, this is okay. I got this, right? And it's like, oh, okay, interesting. Um, often, we want an outcome that's a changed circumstance, right? Uh, Gail didn't want to have cancer, period. Wanted a changed circumstance, and we agreed with her that, that we wanted that circumstance changed as well, Okay. So nothing wrong with wanting a changed circumstance. But sometimes God uses a circumstance to build character, right? And so, you know, we stood with Gail, but she did have to go through cancer treatments in this case. Okay? Did we, did we miss something? Is there a promise missed here? Was there? Well, I don't think so. I think that we did what we were supposed to do, and he followed through on his end. And I love seeing Gail sitting here, standing there, worshiping the Lord. Uh, that, just, that just warms my heart every time. So sometimes our circumstance change idea that we have isn't really what, what the promise was. And yet, God's promise is that he will work all things for good to those that love him and are called according to his name. Basically, those who are believers, Christians. And so, that's the promise, is that all things will work together for good. That's really the promise. Sometimes, we also don't understand timing. So, even the all things will work together for good isn't always, you know, for my personal good right now. I mean, there are lots of martyrs. I don't think very many of them ran into martyrhood going, woohoo! here it comes. You know, I think many of them were praying for deliverance. Boy, that doesn't feel like all things working together for my good. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I mean, you get to go home. So, that's, that's good. And you've set an example. Perhaps others are coming to Christ because of the example that you've set. So, again, our expectation on what it is, our expectation on the timing of things is often... Not really what was said. We need to actually go back to what the real promise was. Another issue that we sometimes have is faulty interpretation of the promise itself. Like as in, who was it given to? For what time? And what were the conditions that were put on it? Uh, one of my favorites, and, and I love the scripture, and my wife might even get mad at me for doing this, but I didn't tell her. So, um, uh, let me see. Okay, here we go. Jeremiah... 29, verse 11. Is it 12? 11. Joel likes 12, so it's okay. All right. I'm going to read a little bit of Jeremiah 29 for us here for a minute, okay? Because I love Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I really do. But let's read maybe starting from verse 10. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 4 and then jump to 10. So in verse 4 it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all of the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Okay, so who are we targeting with this? The captives who have been exiled to Babylon 
from Jerusalem. How many of you are in Babylon right now? Maybe some at some level, but then we go to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for, a, for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. There's an intended audience for that particular promise. Now, is there a principle there? Oh, I think there's a principle as well. And if you want to put, call in that principle, or if God quickens that to you and says to you, hey, you can, you can have that promise as well, I'm all for it. But I will tell you, that's not a universal promise. That is not a principle in God's word the way that salvation is. Salvation, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, period. Universal, no conditions except for believing on him, okay? That's it. You got it. It's yours. It's claimed. It's not directed to a time and a place and a people. But I think what happens is, you know, people read, and, and this one almost more than any other in my in my. Uh, sort of experience in Jeremiah 29, and they say, well, I know the plans he has for me, plans to prosper me, and not to, you know, whatever, whatever. And I think, okay, if he's told you that specifically, but I'm telling you that that scripture is not universal. The scripture is directed. I'll go further. I love the Proverbs. Um, for for years, I used to do the proverb of the day every, every day. So, uh, it, for interest's sake, a long month has precisely 31 days. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. And so what you do is on every day of the month, you read the proverb chapter for that day of the month. Okay? I did this for years. I've read through the Proverbs way too many times. <laughs> and I had to come to realize at one point, and I didn't like this very much, the Proverbs are full of things that sound like promises. Do you know that? They are full of things that sound like promises. So then you dig. And what you determine is this. The Proverbs were less about a prophetic promise being given than they were about a set of principles about God's kingdom being laid out. And principles are different than promises. So, for example, in the Proverbs, it talks about the fact that money easily gotten disappears quickly. It's a solid principle, and you can pretty much count on it, but it's not a promise. So just because you got a bunch of money given to you easily somehow, you know, an inheritance or whatever, it doesn't mean it's bound to disappear quickly, but that is the normal order of things. <laughs> By default, that's what will happen, okay? But am I being... That's clear enough, right, that, that there's a difference between a promise and an illustrated principle. And so we need to actually read the context each time in Scripture before you want to grab onto something. That this idea of claiming promises, I, I have such a mixed feel on it. I mean, in some cases, I'll do it. I got it. You know, I'm claiming this. This is mine. I got it. 
right? Really what I'm trying to do is get my mind renewed. I'm trying to get my mind set to, to understand and hold this promise and to live my life without questioning it and, and whatever. But there is, you know, a presumption that can come into reading a promise that was given for somebody at a time and deciding that I get to have it too. I could ask for it. And I do believe that the Lord speaks. I do believe that he gives us a word. I do believe that we can know. No, no, he is promising me this. Excellent. Feelings get into the mix pretty badly. One of the primary things that I have seen that has thrown people for a loop is the death of a loved one. And folks have, have had such a hard time often enough with the death of a loved one. I lost my dad early. And through brain cancer, it was horrible because we lost him probably, you know, a good six months before he passed away. He was gone anyway. And I was mad. Now, in this particular case, I would say I wasn't actually mad at God. I was actually mad at the devil. I was. Like, I just thought, that's, that's the wrong way. You know, why couldn't he just go to sleep healthy and happy one night and not wake up in the morning. What? Uh, I don't like this. This is not what I like. But where do I take that? You know, if I suddenly say, well, then God is not good or God is not keeping his promises, I, do you know what? His promise in the garden was that if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're going to die. The actual promise is for death. There's nobody who hasn't died other than, you know, as far as we can tell, Enoch and Elijah maybe. That's about it in all of recorded history. So what am I holding on to when I say, that's not right? Well, I'm holding on to something I like. I'm holding on to something I wish was a promise. But it isn't one. But I can tell you that all things work together for good. All right? And that I can hold on to. That I can know, even if I don't fully understand it. Even if I don't see it and I can't judge it and say, Oh, I get it. Dad had to die early in order that uh, I don't have that. But what I do have is an absolute bedrock standing on the rock belief that my God is good and that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his name and his purpose. So failed businesses, failed relationships, these are things that throw people because they somehow often assume that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain somehow. And I got to say, these are things you have to have settled before you get there. You do. You know, I've said this before, you play how you practice, right? So for any of you who do the sports things, you'll know, you play how you practice. You can't go out there and be lazy in practice and expect to play well. It doesn't work. You play how you practice. So these are things where you have to practice standing on the truth before the time that the thing shakes. It ain't in the foxhole that you start pulling out the manual to read about the gun. It's a little late. 
when the people are charging at you. You better have practiced. You better know how this works. You better be able to change, you know, in, 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 in the, on the fly with your eyes closed. You've got to be able to reload, right? I mean, that's the way this thing works. We play how we practice. So I'm suggesting that we start practicing declaring the truth. Declaring that God is good and declaring the promises that he does absolutely give. Because while I've been talking about things that, that kind of say, so some things that we sometimes think are promises might not be. Oh, there are lots of promises. And he keeps them on his terms to his audience by his methods and in his time. Okay? Four things that you've got to keep in mind on his terms. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. There's an if. He has put the conditions in. But I'll tell you, you can stand on it, meet those conditions, My people who are called by my name, his name, Christ, we are Christians. I think we are the people called by his name. Can we we agree on that? Will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. We can do that. We can do that. That's actually within our power to do. Um, Especially because he gives us the grace to do it. Whoever believes in him will not perish. There are unconditional promises in Scripture, by the way. There are. Um, For example, God promised Noah that he would never destroy the world again with a worldwide flood. Period. Done. No conditions. Doesn't matter what mankind does, God will not destroy the world again with a worldwide flood. Done deal. He He told Abraham that he would have a son, a nation, and a land. And it was unconditional. It had nothing to do with what Abraham did or didn't do. It was gonna happen. He told David that his line would last forever. And the fact that Jesus is on the throne and is a son of David. Heard an interesting little teaching on that from the gathering in Korea this week. We are streaming parts of it. And uh, a gentleman who is a Messianic Jew from Jerusalem, Asher, got up and was saying, you know, it's an interesting thing because you don't actually, Jesus did not actually gain his line to David through his mother Mary. I never figured that out before. I never really realized that. So this is, this is for free. This is a rabbit trail. Um, but you don't gain your line to kingship in Judaic culture through your mother. Doesn't happen. Has to be through your father. So Jesus not only had to be born of a virgin, but he had to be born of a virgin who was legally married to someone in the line of David. Very cool. So he was born of a betrothed young woman who had already, because of that betrothal, basically she had Joseph's name. And so by the time that Jesus was born, legally, Joseph was his father, and therefore, he is in the line of David. Pretty cool, hey? Just a, one, one little extra intricacy that, you know, comes into the mix. God's always busy working everything. He works all things together. By the way, all things, that's a lot of things going on all at the same time. Um, so, uh, Jesus will return. 
unconditional. There's nothing we got to do or can do to either make it or make it not happen. Going to happen. How about this? Satan's forces will never overcome the church. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Cool. I don't care what it looks like out there. I don't care what you think you're seeing at some level. This is an unconditional promise. It is given. It is written. It is done. God's promises, as I said, his conditions, his intended audience. And so that's, we already did the Jeremiah thing. Um, And there is often a principle revealed, but the specifics are specific. So, Jeremiah, we got that. So if that promise, if God's quickened that to your heart and you can hold that one, that's great. I love that. But remember who it was given to. I'll go further. God gave Joshua a promise. You'll take the ground wherever your foot falls. I don't suggest you go over to that really nice house that Ben was posting this week. Put your foot there and say, promise, everywhere my foot falls will be mine. I'm not suggesting to you that that's going to work. That promise was given to Joshua. Now, if Joshua was around, it would work. Because it was a promise to Joshua. Marching around the walls isn't going to make it fall either, just so you know. Well, maybe. By his methods as well, right? So God says in Isaiah 55, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So often his method isn't the one that we thought. You know, somebody has been praying, Lord, you know, Make me more like you. Make me more like you. And then their business fails. (laughs) And they think, well, they don't put it together for another five years thereafter. And then five years later, they look back and they go, oh, boy, did I need humbling. Right? Doesn't feel good at the time. But we could see it thereafter. So God's ways aren't always the ways that we think they're going to happen. And he does things in his time. He promised Adam and Eve that Eve's offspring would crush Satan's head. You'll bruise your heel, you crush his head. That was the deal. 4,000 plus years later, Jesus was born. We promised that he would come again quickly. God has it different quickly than I have. My kids never caught on to this. Otherwise, I could imagine if I said, come here quickly, they would have said, "Eh, 2,000 years or so, Dad. (laughs) You know? The fact that they've lived this long says that didn't happen. Um, But the enemy, the enemy also quotes God's promises, but quotes them wrong. He lies. Sometimes he twists the words like he did to Eve. Has God said that you can't eat anything? Right? And he goes, no, 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 we can eat everything. So, you know, I mean, she's already kind of engaged in this conversation Satan actually presented Jesus with temptations directly from Scripture. You're hungry. You could turn these rocks into bread. You know, the Bible says he'll send angels. If you jump off this tower, he will send angels that you won't even bruise your foot. Direct quote out of Scripture. 
totally not applicable to the situation, Jesus knew the context. So he was able to go, yeah, no, 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 no. That's not what that means. So it's an encouragement to us to read the word, to know the context, and even when you get a promise, to go and look and see, is there additional context? Are there things that we can kind of claim? Um, promises like, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. Do you know what? I actually think there's some things we can look at there. And we can say, hey, you know, how am I doing with this honoring mom and dad thing? How did I do? Is there some forgiveness I need to ask for? Um, but those are, those are there. Let's look at a couple of promises here quickly. Um, there are so many. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, but I like some of these that we really can, can pull on. So, how about this? In Isaiah 40, uh, verse, well, let me start it. I've been talking context, so let me give a little bit. <laughs> Starting at verse 28. Have you never heard, have you never understood, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Hmm. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So the only condition is that we just got to trust in the Lord. By the way, it's exhausting not trusting in the Lord. Trusting in yourself, ah, it's, it's, it's actually really exhausting. And, and we think, well, I need to take this one because, because what? Because it's too big for God? So you got to do it? Because he's not paying attention? I'm telling you, there's a promise here. We trust in the Lord. Mm, strength. Got to like that one. James 1, starting verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You can get wisdom. But when you ask, there's a but. Oops. Uh-oh. Keep reading. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What? Ha! Ah. Ah. I want wisdom. Okay, well, then you get to trust. And it's absolutely clear. You can have it. He will give it, but... James 4, love this one, verse 7. This is universal. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Woohoo! I like that. We can actually make the devil flee. But we got to submit to God. Okay? Most of the time when we are tormented, we're not actually submitting to God. Right? So, but if we do, 1 John 1, 9, we all love this one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. 
There is that thing about admitting we're sinners, though, that comes right at the beginning of that one. I don't think that's too hard. I think we all pretty much can see that. I normally can. Yep. Okay, what about a prophetic word that you receive from somebody else? What about if somebody comes and delivers a, a prophetic word to you, and it's quite specific? Like, you know, there are those lovely encouragements that we get, and I love them, but they're very, very general, and, and they're just quite encouraging, right? And then there are sometimes really, really specific things that somebody might say. Um, what about those things? Well, this is a little dicey, but let's talk about it for a moment. So first of all, who gave it? And if you ever receive a word from somebody that's quite specific in some way, ask them right away, what exactly did you hear or see? Exactly. Because often, even the one who's delivering it has already interpreted it through for you. They've already decided what it meant. Much like Amanda's story on her own thing, I've already decided what this means. Okay, but what was it really, like precisely, without going any further? Well, I, I saw lots of green trees growing. Okay, so you gave me a whole thing about my business and it's whatever off of the fact that what you saw was some green trees growing. Okay, guess what? Maybe that's right, but I'm going to hold on to the fact that there were green trees growing and, and kind of go from there. Do you know what I mean? So there is a point about, about not going past really what the Lord is saying. Um, were there conditions attached? Always got to figure out, were there conditions attached? Was there an if involved in this? How reliable is the source? Because I'm telling you this right now, God never fails to keep his promises. Again, just practice that. Know that to be the case. And let me just now turn this back around to ourselves. So we created in the image of God and what being conformed to his image actually also need to be people of our word. The Bible talks about not swearing by anything. You know, don't swear by the temple. Don't swear by the Jerusalem. Don't swear by whatever, whatever. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, what about pinky swear? Is that okay? Is pinky swear okay? Look, here's the deal. The fact that that even exists is because we're not people whose yes is yes and no is no. Okay, that's why that even exists as a thing, you know. We actually don't need to swear by anything. We just need to be committed to keeping our word. So we also need to be committed to not giving our word foolishly. There's an interesting thing in Psalm 15 that's a little scary. So I'm going to read it because we like scary stuff. Okay, Psalm 15. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of God and keep their promises even when it hurts. Ouch. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. Keep your promises even when it hurts. Parents, I can 
not encourage you too strongly here. If you've given a promise to your child that then turns out to be incredibly inconvenient in some way, you probably need to find a way to actually get them to release you or you need to figure out a way to keep it. And, I mean, I see this in business too. You know, uh, we, we bid on stuff and we say we'll do it for a certain price. And then we have to. But I'll go further because there are mechanisms in business to try and avoid that. But I think that the Lord has blessed our business largely on the front that we've lost significant money on certain contracts. And yet, and yet, in our total piece of business with that customer in the end, it almost always works out. Michael's nodding at me. One of his biggest, Michael and I work together, one of his biggest customers is actually somebody for whom we actually overspent building them their software by over a million dollars of our own cost went into building them their software initially in 2006-7. It was horrible. It was just awful for us. But we have continued to do over a million dollars a year worth of work with this customer year by year by year by year by year. And they still come back to us. Uh, and it, And it's that thing that the Lord has just blessed that relationship. And so, that, you know, I'm giving you a business example, but, you know, this, this example happens again and again. That trust is built. And, and then finally, you know, I mentioned the comment about the fella in Casablanca correcting me. Um, you know, the Bible does say, uh, I believe that's James 4, it says, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. So, and then the very next verse is interesting. It says, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So I don't know why that's connected directly, but it's a good word anyway. Um, so I, I'll say this. In my life, there's, there's two things that I would want to come out of this for, for each of us. And the one is to know that God keeps his promises every time, every single time. And it's really good for us to understand what his promises are and the context in which they exist and the conditions that are on them and the timing and who they're given to so that we can stand firm on them, right? Clearly. And the second one is let's be people of our word. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Um, You know, Amanda said to me, well, what about people who reply going on a Facebook post and then never show up? <laughs> I have no opinion on that. Um, I'm not quite sure how Facebook comes into this whole thing. But I will say this. Let's, let's be people of our word and recognize that we should keep our word even unto our own hurt, if that's the case. So, Lord, I pray even now that you would give us wisdom, that you would continue to transform us into your image by the renewing of our mind, give us the ability to know what your will is. And the Lord, I also pray that you would give us wisdom in what we say and do, that you would give us the ability to carry out what you call us to do uh, and what we've promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen.